Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And when I walk in, I slide into the room and there's a huge crowd, probably 150, 200 kids. And he points me out right away. Hey, Kelly, thank you so much for being here. And he's just finishing with his story. And he says, as opposed to finishing out my story today, and this is one of the top keynote speakers in the world. He says, I'd like to introduce to you Kelly Cardenas and I'd like to have him to finish out the day. Now, I could have been mad and just went home at 8.15 in the morning. I could have not fought traffic to Pasadena. I could have not gone to my friend's house in Hollywood because it's going to get me caught in traffic. I could have not gotten the car and drove all the way to the place. The plan was to be with him at nine o'clock in Orange County. But the moment was for me to go to Pasadena, to be in the backyard, to then get back in traffic. And what I learned that day was that we all have a plan, but the magic is in the moment. And if you could stay in that moment, you'll experience all the magic. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level, but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds, They use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? (laughs) We're going to start the show off right This guy deserves a round of applause before we even get started. If you have not been paying attention, you must be under a rock. I've got Kelly Cardenas in with me today. He's not in Carlsbad. He's in Park City, Utah today with the latest addition to the real estate holdings, enjoying the family over the summer. Kelly, how are you, my brother? Uh, I'm doing phenomenal. I mean, in every sense of the word. Look, so I don't even know how we connected. I feel like it must have been a Justin Breen, Ali Youp, or Hail Mary. And you've been one of the most amazing people that I've been able to engage with in my life ever since that time. And so I just want to start the podcast off the right way by just throwing some love on you, man, because there's not many people with your heart. And ladies and gentlemen, This is going to be a long episode today because we've got so many places to go. If you don't have it, 
grab it off the bookcase. You've got to get the six indicators for business and life by Kelly Cardenas. Look, I got this book. I read it cover to cover. I wrote all through it, you know, just to give you a kind of insight into who Kelly is. And I'm out of character today because it's Kelly, right? I'm just, I didn't notice this before, but he's got John Paul DiGiorgio on the top of his book jacket. Anyway, so Kelly has a podcast and the thing that really jumped out the first time I listened to it was he was like, yeah, my mom said that it has to work if it smells this good, right? Kelly's in the hair care industry. And so he's got the shampoo and I went and tried to order it, but I couldn't find it because I didn't know which one it was because he was telling me about bling and all this other stuff, right? So anyway, I'm rambling, but you're in for a treat, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly, tell me about the first haircut you ever gave. The first haircut I ever gave, they should have taken my license and hit it under a rock. It was my buddy, Will. He's mixed. For all of you out there that are mixed something or other, I've got Mexican and white to me. He had black and white. And we had dog clippers and we thought he needed a haircut. My brother said, you know, we could hook this up. We lived in a double wide mobile home. So small bathrooms. That's why I'm telling you double wide mobile home. Plus it's giving me street cred too. But my brother goes to do one side and as he goes to do it, he hands me the clippers because I'm going to do the other side because you can't move around the bathroom. And for all of you out there who have a little bit of ghetto to you, when you have clippers and they break, you don't buy new ones. You put duct tape on them to hold the guards on. And that's what we had done. My brother hands me the clippers. I didn't realize that the duct tape had failed. The guard falls off and I run up the side of his head with zero guard. And this is before a skin fade was cool and we didn't know how to do one. So we shaved him all the way up to the temples, completely bald. And then it went out three inches off his head and up four inches. So it looked like a big brick of cheese on top of his head. And his mom wanted to kill me for probably about six months after that haircut. And I, I should have never been given a license. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why did you have dog clippers? <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to Will Simmons. That's my best friend in the world. This is my brother. But he took the haircut and took one for the team and wore it to school and everything like that. But we had dog clippers because my dad was that guy. Like, Jerome, I don't know if you had that dad, but I had that dad and I still do. His name is Pops. Check him out on Instagram. It's Big Tom Cardenas. But my dad was that dad who you would say, I want to, you know, like I want a Western bacon cheeseburger. And he'd be like, boy, we don't need to spend that $2 on a hamburger when I can make it at home. I'll get some onion rings and some barbecue sauce and I'll make it just the same. It's just the same. And then we would sometimes be in the drive through of that fast food restaurant and he would back out and then just go home and cook in the backyard and try and make us all the, the stuff. And it didn't taste anything like it. Can I tell you one story about my pop? Come on, give it to me. Okay. So my pop was that dude. Like my dad grew up in a little town called Ofer. I mean, he grew up with six siblings. They didn't have running water. He's a young dude, 68, but they didn't have running hot water at the time. So they had to boil hot uh, water on a wood burning stove and then put it in a galvanized steel bucket. And all of his uh, siblings would bathe in this galvanized steel bucket to give a background for my dad. But I didn't care about that. I didn't come from that. And plus, like I'm his, like I'm his responsibility. So we're in the drive-thru for uh, McDonald's, and this isn't a one-time occasion. We pull up, we order ice cream. We're so excited. We're getting ice cream from McDonald's. They hand us to it. My dad counts the amount of swirls on it. There was only like two and a half swirls. And that's not what's on the commercial. So my dad said, excuse me, ma'am, 
there's not enough swirls on these cones. And me and my brother already had them in our hand. He grabbed them from us, gave them back to the woman, said, we need more swirls. The lady said, well, that's as many as we give, sir. He said, let me talk to a manager. He pulls the manager out. The manager comes. And then she says, this is how much we're supposed to do. Two and a half swirls, sir. He says, I can't believe that you would give me this good money. And then he handed the ice creams back and drove away. And me and my brother got no ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) So Pops, you still owe me an ice cream cone, man. But what he taught me was, is that quality and service is not normal in life. And what he wrapped us around, and we were so mad when he was telling us this as we drive away, but what he was telling us through his actions and through his words was if you truly serve people at a high level and give them more than what they paid for, you will have a client for life. Otherwise, you'll just be a simple service provider that people could go down the street and get somebody else. Commoditized. But I'm still mad about the ice cream drone. No, you're not. You can buy whatever ice cream you want to. You stand (laughs) on stages around the world talking about things. And so one of the most impactful things that I've heard you say, you haven't said it to me yet, so I've got to capture it here on the Dreamcatchers podcast, is the talk where you talk about putting your hands behind your head, getting on your knees. I'm not going to mess it up because I can't do it as well as you. Well, I was at church. I was actually with my pop. And he reminds me of it all the time. And when you're in church, depending on who you are, if you go to church, whatever it was, but when I hear praise music, then I raise my hands and I raised my hands that day. And, and I tell you, my arms started to get a little bit tired. And as they started to get a little bit tired, God was like, just put them on top of your head. And I put them on top of my head. And then he said, as I put them on top of my head, he said, put them behind your back. And I put them behind my back. By the end of the song, I had my hands just behind my back, just holding on to them, you know, just open up. And I sat down and I remember my dad watching this happen because he was in church with me. And I sat down and God started to speak to me through my journal. And what he said was the first stage of a relationship with me is to surrender, put your hands up. And when you put your hands up, you surrender. You say, hey, I'm here. I'm turning myself in. Right. Then he said, put your hands on top of your head. And what he translated to me with that. And I asked my friend who worked in the LAPD, I said, why do you have him put hands on the head? He said, because it gives the person permission to search you. And what God was saying is I want permission to search you for all the things that would be harmful for me when I take you into custody, the way that I'm doing it when you surrender, or that you could harm yourself. And I want to search your body, your soul, your mind, and your spirit. Then I put my hands behind my back. And what he translated there was that it was allowing the person to take you into custody. And what it had helped me to realize was The first stage in this is to surrender. Most of us haven't surrendered to our dreams, right? Most of us haven't surrendered to our dreams. And then we haven't gone to the second stage. If we surrender, we haven't gone to the second stage that allows our dreams to search us for anything that's contrary to that dream, anything that's contrary to that mission, that purpose that you have in life. And every one of you has a unique one. And the final one was take you into custody. And when you're taken into custody, you have no free will. Imagine if you gave your will and your freedom over to your dreams, your passion, and your purpose. And you were not allowed to do anything except what it says. And what was crazy, Jerome, is when he showed me that, I had no idea really how it was going to go. I'm getting chills right now. But it actually created a prison ministry. And so now I go into prisons and I speak to prisoners, people who are incarcerated. I went to the only supermax prison in America and I got to speak to the inmate. And I got to tell them, hands up, hands on top of your head, hands behind your back. You all have 
the recipe for success in anywhere in your life and you've had it happen to you, but it happened to you in a little bit different situation because all of you are incarcerated. All you had to surrender. All of you had to be searched. All of you are in custody and you can't do anything outside of what the prison tells you. But imagine if you applied that to your dreams, your purpose, and your passions. I, I, because your dreams should be real, right? I mean, if you surrender to them, what in the world? Okay. All right. All right. Where's the boom box, man? <laughs> you don't bring the boom box with you. to. I've got one here. I brought the ultra. I brought the bump box, which I got hustled. You know, I told you about that, man. Don't be on Instagram late at night. Cause your wife won't be happy. You'll just buy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I do have it. I have the ultra, the small one. I brought it up here to park city and we were just rocking it last night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelly, you got to tell this story because they're like, what are they talking about? <laughs> so I was it's like everyone out there listening. If you're a man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a lady, you know what I'm talking about. You talked about something close to your phone. Your phone picked up on it and then it started giving you advertisements on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever. Well, I got hit with this bump box and it's the loudest Bluetooth boom box on the market. And one night my wife was in Vegas and she was working and I was by myself. It was about two o'clock. I could not sleep. I checked my Instagram quick scroll. I saw the bump box and it said Snoop Dogg. And if you buy it, then you'll get the ultra for free. And I was like, you can't pass up free. So then I bought it and all my friends were like, well, how much did you buy it for? And I said, well, it doesn't matter how much I paid. I got this one for free. And what's better than one, but two. But honestly, it was, I mean, it's cool, but I didn't need it. And I got hustled, but it played on... <laughs> It played on the fact that at two o'clock in the morning, you're a little bit weak. And I made a financial decision without my wife, which wasn't smart. But here's the caveat. For me, I think there's always, <laughs> there's always a positive in it. And so what I did is I reached out to Bumpbox and I said, I want you to sponsor the podcast. I'm going to hammer you guys as much as possible because I want to become your partner. So anytime, now, like, and I've learned this very early on, anytime I spend money in any place, I don't just want to buy a product. I want to become their partner. And this happened with a guy named John Mark. I bought the most expensive suit that I had ever bought. It was, you know, probably 1999. It was a $1,500 suit at that time. And when I passed the money over, I held it tight and he grabbed it and I held it back. And he said, why are you letting it go? And I said, because here's my card. And I handed him my card with the other hand. And I only allowed him to take the money if he took my card. And I said, I want you to come in. And he actually built my whole entire business in Las Vegas, introduced me to a guy named Walid, and Walid built my whole business. So whenever you're spending money, make sure that it's an investment in a relationship that will pay dividends for long times to come. Wait, is the salon in Las Vegas the only thing that connects you to that city? <laughs> well, the cool thing is we built leaders, right, Jerome? And I don't know if I told you this, but there's a young lady named Jen Jen Moses, she started with us 13 years ago. After three and a half years, she became the top earner in our company. She started at minimum wage. She got to six figures within three and a half years. She became the Wait, top earner. six figures doing hair? What are you- yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we built. <laughs> I mean, you know, so she went from not only six figures, but six figures on a four-day work week, right? And so she had, she only worked Tuesday through Friday, right? And so she did that held the title for nine years. There's another girl named Shauna. Shauna started with us four years ago. I had offered her money. We had worked together for about 10 years before and then, but I wouldn't ever poach someone from another company. 
when I get with her, I tell her, I want to work with you, but I cannot afford your salary of what you've got. And this is all I've got. And it was about 50% of what she was making. She said, yes, I would love to do it. So she gave her a two week notice and she was coming over to our company drone. And when the day that she gave her notice, she said, Kelly, I got a challenge. I said, what's the challenge? She said, they doubled my salary. I said, take it. I'm your friend. I'll always be here. So this girl goes and takes double her salary. A month later, Jerome calls me back and says, I would be willing to take 50% of what I earn right now to do something I believe in. That was four years ago. The girl who started a minimum wage, who became the highest earner in our company, worked with us for 13 years, and the girl who started four years ago for 50% of what she was making in May just bought the location. We build leaders. Wow. So this is really interesting because oftentimes the practitioners aren't actually business owners, right? There's two different skill sets, even though you probably need both of them to be successful if you're going to actually elevate to the next level. So how did you set up the system to allow people that upward mobility? Because usually the whole model is to keep people where they are and increase the spread so that you as the founder can make more, right? Well, I think that's a traditional mindset. And I mean, you're absent of a traditional mindset. I mean, I've noticed that from you from the beginning, you were constantly giving value to people, you know, and there was no ask. Jerome, there's been no ask for you forever. Like since I've known you, there's been no ask. You make relationships, you create phenomenal relationships, you pump everyone else up. And then you know what happens? People start to ask, like, can we do something together? Can we do this? Can we do And I watch it. And you're a master at it. Like, I've never seen somebody be able to develop relationships, cultivate relationships the way that you do with no ask, with no like, hey, here's the back end part of it. It's just your own. And everyone out there listening to Dreamcatchers, you feel this and you know this because he keeps giving you content that is so very valuable to make it okay. And then it becomes a desire to want to deal with it. And so I think the traditional sense of that, you know, creating the spread for me, I always, when I first started off in the professional beauty industry and what it was, was the professional beauty industry for me was just a conduit to people. And what I realized was the systems that we built could translate into any business, right? So what I did is I wanted to create the highest paid hairdressers in the world. And I mean, our pattern, our system takes a kid from minimum wage within three years, three and a half years, if they do exactly what we tell them to do there'll be a six-figure earner on a four-day work. <laughs> and, and the smallest amount of time that we've done it in from minimum wage to six figures is a year and a half. What? It doing the exact same job. And so what I wanted to do is I felt that, you know, my dad always raised me on is if you helped other people to be able to get what they wanted, you would never have to focus on what you want. And I mean, we literally, like we took a girl, her name is Serena Bias. Sabrina Bias, not Serena. Sabrina Bias. And she was, it was crazy. I mean, she started two years before she worked with us. She was homeless, living in a car with her dad. She started out with us at minimum wage. Within a year and a half, she got to six figures. And then she went off and did her own business. We create leaders. That's what we want to do. I want to create people who are better than me. That's what the system should be about. Not about creating a system where I am become the overlord. And I invite every company owner out there, like, my dad always said it to every single person in our company. Like, you should not be striving to get to where Kelly is. You should be running past him. And we developed systems in the company where people, like what I did was 
no more than the starting line. And these kids, I mean, I'm telling you, man, like it's amazing to see how they're able to do it. And the, the ultimate for me was to be able to have Shauna and Jen where they were able to purchase the location. Now they changed their legacy. You know what I mean? They changed cycles in their family. And it was the first business that I ever opened and we got to sell it. But most people in our industry aren't looking at creating value in the business so it can be sold because it generally an uh, individual, like, oh, the person is a good style, whatever it is. What we did is we created a system where all the guests were so involved in the system that in the event that the stylist wanted to leave, the guests stayed with the system. And the people who stayed inside the system continued to grow at crazy exponential levels. I've never seen this before. Wow. All right. So the people who aren't watching this don't have the good fortune of seeing your golden dreads, right? (laughs) And they didn't see the cover of the book and the cool goatee and the silhouette. Let's talk about it. Why do you look the way you look? It, it all happened on accident, man. I was on the way to China. I was doing some work out there. I do, you know, technical training all over the world. And, you know, I was on a plane back from Shanghai to San Francisco and it was 13 hours and I had read all the books I could. I'd watched the movies. I read the magazines and I was tired and I just started rubbing my head. Well, at the time I had a perm on pipe cleaners. And, you know, so it was an Afro. And as I started to rub my head because I was bored, it started not up in the back. But I thought every white dude with dreads always has like four of them. They have doo-doo locks. You know what I'm saying? They look like, like, like a, a guy off of Star Wars. And I was like, I ain't trying to be that. So they got to stay small. So it really, like everything in my life, I tell you, Jerome, like every single thing, it wasn't by me setting a 10-year, a five-year, a three-year goal It literally was by living my life and being as present as I possibly can and using these three principles. Number one, be really, really kind to people, right? Be of contribution, like add to their life. Number two, make a lot of friends. I made a friend with you and guess what happens? I get to understand and know and and work off of your celebrity, work off of your credibility, work off of those things because I'm your friend, right? But first I contributed to you. And then the last one is, Once I get those things, I'm kind, I make friends, then I just work really, really hard. And I work really, really hard at being exactly where I am at that particular time. And literally, like when that happens, magic, magic happens. Can I tell you a story? I love stories. Okay. So I woke up one day, it was, can't remember the day, but it was probably 5.30 in the morning because I needed to be to the place by eight o'clock. The guy was starting at eight or nine o'clock. So I needed to wake up super early and then pick up the other people in the company that were going with me because this guy was speaking. He was amazing. He's the uh, dean of the Paul Mitchell schools and uh, creator. of So he was speaking. So I was like, wherever you're going to be, I'm going to be. So at nine o'clock, he's supposed to be there. So I pick all the people up. We get there and I want to get there super early. So I get there about 745 and I'm there about an hour 15 so we could have some breakfast with my team. And I call him at like maybe 815. And I'm like, hey, uh, or I text him, hey, when I'm so excited for you to speak. And I'm, you know, I'm pumped. I got my people here. He's like, cool. I'll see you at two. And I was like, what? I didn't even respond. I took a breath and I channeled my mom and my pop saying that, you know, every situation is for you. Right. So I'm in Orange County at the time. For those of you who know California, Orange County is far from LA, not far in distance, but far in traffic. So I call my buddy in LA 
in Pasadena. He's got a school. And I said, hey, man, just want to let you know I was supposed to do uh, something, but I'm available to speak at your school if I can have the time. He said, when can you get here? I said, how long will it take in traffic? He said, about an hour and a half. I said, cool, I'll be there. So hour and a half, I roll in. I just drive right to Pasadena, right? I roll in and I get to speak to maybe 150 kids. Now, granted, this wasn't the plan. None of the kids that were in the car with me either knew, understood the plan. So when I'm speaking on stage, one of the girls has my phone. She checks my phone. I get a text message from my buddy, who's a movie star, who happens to be doing a press junket for a new film that's coming out. And it was Only the Brave, because he was in Only the Brave, and uh, he was in 12 Strong, and he was also in The Wedding Crashers and a bunch of different movies. But he's doing the press junket, and he says, I need a haircut. Well, he happens to be in Hollywood. Hollywood's not that far from Pasadena. So I said, text him back and just tell him we'll be there after the class. So when we get done with the class, we drive right to Hollywood. We go to his house. I cut his hair in the backyard for all the shows that he's going to be on, the Steve Harvey show, all these different things. Well, all my, the people that are in my company now get to meet this movie star who happens to just be my friend, but they're freaked out. Now they have the experience of the Pasadena school, 150 kids. They get to go to this movie star's backyard. And then when texts me and says, hey, by the way, if you can't make it at two o'clock, I'm speaking at five o'clock in at the same school. So I'm like, we're in. So we get done. Now, Jerome, if you're in L.A., for the people who know L.A., you understand this. We get in the car at four, like 410, which is the worst time to get in the car in L.A. And we're driving back to Orange County. There's no way 15 minutes you're going to get to Orange County. Well, he starts at five o'clock. We don't get there till 615. And when I walk in, I slide into the room. And there's a huge crowd, probably 150, 200 kids. And he points me out right away. Hey, Kelly, thank you so much for being here. And he's just finishing with his story. And he says, as opposed to finishing out my story today, and this is one of the top keynote speakers in the world. He says, I'd like to introduce to you Kelly Cardenas, and I'd like to have him to finish out the day. Now, I could have been mad and just went home at 8.15 in the morning. I could have not fought traffic to Pasadena. I could have not gone to my friend's house in Hollywood because it's going to get me caught in traffic. I could have not gotten the car and drove all the way to the place. The plan was to be with him at nine o'clock in Orange County. But the moment was for me to go to Pasadena, to be in the backyard, to then get back in traffic. And what I learned that day was that we all have a plan. But the magic is in the moment. And if you could stay in that moment, you'll experience all the magic. Listen, the magic's in the moment. Wow. That. Ooh. Okay. All right. So. I need another story, right? Because I'm a story junkie at this point, and you've got some of the best ones. So we've kind of danced around this thing. I just want to make it plain for the folks, right? I talked about John Paul DeGiorio and the book jacket. You talked about Paul Mitchell in passing, as, and you mentioned training around the world. Like, how did you get connected to Paul Mitchell? And how do you get to do technical trainees around the world? Because you just told me at the beginning of this podcast that you were cutting hair with dog clippers in the bathroom of a double wide trailer. I tell you, honestly, 
I can't take any of the credit. I, I have to give the credit to all my buddies, uh, Dale, Andy, Will, Dave, my brother, Alfred, all these guys, they supported me from a very early age. I was always different. I was always a little bit off and my friends supported me and they loved me and my parents did too. And they never compared me to anything, but literally, man, like I wish that I could give all the listeners out there. If you follow these steps, then everything will work out. But honestly, I didn't follow any steps. Like I'm very, very blessed. My mom prayed for me every morning. And the way that it started was I was in hair school. I was in hair school and I got a chance to be able to go to a hands-on training with a guy named Juan Dior. Well, my school that I went to was in a town of probably 30,000, 30, 40,000. And this guy came and he was like a celebrity hairdresser. We were so excited. It was $99 for two days. Well, at the time, my mom made $200 a week under the table. God rest her soul. Our rent payment was $700. So outside of our rent, she had $100 a month to be able to buy food and for us to live. And I went home. You can imagine this. I go home from hair school. I don't got a job because they told me, I want you to just focus on school. I get home and I tell my mom, I want to go to this class. My mom in six weeks saves $99 by saving quarters, pennies, nickels, everything she can. And I get to go to the class. Well, when I go to the class, I'm in. I'm just, my parents told me you don't have to be the best in the world. You just have to be the best at whatever it is that you're doing at the particular time. So I'm there. I'm asking questions, everything like that. My name gets thrown in the hat and I get chosen to go to a hair show. That hair show is the Long Beach hair show. And it changes my life because it shows me a whole different side of the business, right? It's a whole different side. Like people are doing hair on stage and all this stuff. Well, there was an administrator in my school that told me, you know, if you do anything in your career, follow this woman. She showed me a blonde-headed woman. I come from a military family. If someone of authority tells me to do something, I'm just doing it. So I say the blonde-headed woman. I don't know who this woman is, but I show up at the Long Beach Hair Show because I got chosen out of the hat by the Juan Dior guy. I get to assist him on stage, which is probably six inches off the ground. Like it's not a stage, but my job that weekend was to walk around and ask women in the crowd, can you get your hair done, be a model with us? And then you get your haircut on this little stage. And, you know, I was selling, like selling it to these people. And while I'm going to the bathroom, I take a break and I walk past the stage and I see that blonde headed woman that the woman told me that I need to check out. Well, on stage is another guy. I don't know who he is, but he's talking about everybody else. He's never talking about himself. And I just like mesmerized. Well, fast forward, I get to do that. I see a different side. Moved to Memphis, Tennessee from California. When I moved to Memphis, I go in and I apply for a job. This guy named Philip Gould. He owns 13 salons. He has a Ron Burgundy office with like, you know, mahogany and leather bound books. And I sit back in the chair at 19 years old, never worked in the hair industry ever. And I say to him, he asked me, what, how can I help you? And I said, well, I want to be educated. I want to be an educator. I want to travel the world and I want to be the best at my craft. And if your company could help me do that, I would love for that to happen. But if not, sir, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't waste my time. And I sat back and I was sweating, Jerome, because I was thinking this guy is going to shoo me out of his office. He calls me back about it two hours later and he tells me he's got a job for me. You know, before that, he tells me we trained one of the best platform artists, like, you know, technical trainers in the world. Well, he shows me the picture or he tells me the name of the guy. Well, when I go home, I look in the magazine, the magazines of our industry, and I see that name that the guy said that he trained and the picture is the guy who I saw on stage with the blonde head woman. 
So I freak out and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I follow that. I get in, I get that job. I follow that guy for two and a half years. Every stage that he's on, I'm there. I'm traveling around the country for two and a half years. I'm passing in my car, sitting in the front seat of the show. Hey, my name is Kelly. My name is Kelly. After two and a half years, I get a chance to be able to be around him. And I said, how can I work with you? And he says, you can pack your stuff up and move out to California. And if you do what we tell you to do and you do it well, you can stay. But if not, then you can pack your up and go back home. So I thought he was going to call me drunk. And I went home and I was so excited. And I thought he was going to call me. And a year went by, no call. Well, he had taken my card, put it in his vest and told his wife, hey, you need to check out this guy. Well, my name is Kelly and they're from Scotland. So they, she thought it was a woman. So she put it on top of Ron Warren and sat there for a year. A year later, I saw him at a show and I was kind of a little bit down, but he said, hey, man, you know, I remember you. Your name is Kelly. And I gave him my card again. I said, I would love to be able to work with you. Well, he took it home this time. He handed it to his wife. And she said, wow, that was the card that's been sitting on top of the Anwar for the last year. And what I realized at that time, God was getting me ready because there was places in my finances, there was places in my life, there was places in my spirit that I wasn't ready to go a year before. I was mad because of the delay, but God was preparing. So I got the opportunity to be able to move out to San Diego. I hung with him and I just told him, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I did that, went through and got a chance to meet a lot of great people. But I believe it was because of all the support that was around me, all the prayer that was there. And I remember meeting John Paul for the first time said, hey, my name is Kelly. Didn't see him for two and a half years later. He walks into a room. There's about 70 people and he walks right to me and he says, hey, Kelly, haven't seen you in a while. He's that dude. He's that kind of guy. Well, when I started my company years later, after getting fired from my job, so 15 years later, I start my company and we're at a convention in Austin, Texas. And I'm walking down the hallway and John Paul, this is crazy. John Paul says, hey, Kelly, how are you doing? And I said, oh my gosh, JP, how are you? I mean, this guy is, I mean, this guy is bigger than life. And I said, I'm doing great. And he said, can we have coffee? We haven't got to talk in a while. And I'm thinking, JP, we hadn't talked in 33 years, you know, because I'm 33 years old at the time. So we sit down for coffee. And I remember one of my mentors told me, whenever you're around amazing people, just ask a question and shut up. And he asked me how I was doing. I said, amazing. And then I just looked at him. And just awkwardly silent looking at him. And then he said to me something that changed my life. He said, I'd like to do something for you. Would that be okay? And I said, "Uh, yes. And he said, I'd like to make a three to five minute endorsement video of your company. Would that be okay? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I'll record it when I get back to my studio. And we were in Austin, he, uh, back in California. When I get back to California, I'll, I'll record it. I'll send it to you. If you love it, keep it and use it however you want. And if you don't like it, just let me know. And I'll do it over and over again till I get it exactly what you want it to be. I believe that every one of us out there, every one of you listening, has power to do that for somebody else. JP didn't do that and didn't affect my life just because he's a billionaire. He did it because he's a human being. And Jerome, your discipline, the things that you're great at, you can bless someone today simply by a text message. Everyone out there that's listening, you can bless someone by a phone call, by a text message, by email, because you are living their dreams. They may be the craziest thing in your life in the worst circumstance of all time, but it is somebody else's dream that you're living. And if you help someone else, 
to be able to have light in their life, you'll never have to worry about being in the darkness yourself. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So he made the commercial and then... That allowed you to elevate. I want to get to the story about the little lady, the little blonde headed lady, because you keep seeing her. But when do you actually engage with her? Because that relationship was transformational for you. Oh, it's huge, man. I mean, her name is Jean Bra, and now her name is Jean Foster. It's crazy because to me, I mean, she's the most iconic hairdresser that's ever lived. She was the original Paul Mitchell, the guy, and she was his stage partner. And you know, for a kid from a 35,000 person town, hearing about this iconic hairdresser that travels around the world and is with Paul Mitchell, the guy, and John Paul DeJoria, like, there's no way you're going to have a connection point to it. So she was this iconic figure. Well, then come to find out, she worked, like, when I got the job with the guy, Robert, and moved out to San Diego, her business, Robert's salon was on the second level, on the first level was her business. And I had no idea. But what's crazy about it today is, is that Jean Foster now, amazing woman, is now like a grandma to my kids. And what I realized is that we idolize people, right? We idolize people in in our community, whether it be for finances or maybe they got a car, maybe they got a house or maybe, you know, whatever it is, we idolize people. And a lot of times we don't realize that, you know, the millionaire or the billionaire or the person who's doing phenomenal, the sports star is a human being breathing air, doing the exact same things. And they all want the exact same thing, which is to feel special and to feel loved. And Jean now is that in my life. So I I interacted with her, you know, secondary through the guy who I was talking about everyone else. But when I saw her and then I connected with her, I mean, this was iconic. It was amazing. And I remember I was doing a training when I first got trained with Paul Mitchell, I was doing a training and they asked to give personal testimony. Well, People were given testimonies about the books that they read and all this stuff. Well, the only book that I was reading at the time was the Bible. And I wasn't trying to be religious on anybody, but it was the only book that I was reading. So I used a reference to Moses and people went crazy, like not in a good way. They were like, how dare you talk about the Bible? You're trying to push. And I said, no, no, guys, that's the only thing I'm reading. I'm not reading any other books. She pulled me up in her office and Jean said, you know, you can't bring that God stuff in here, all this stuff. You can't be talking about this and that. And you can't be talking about Jesus. I was like, I mean, I was just explaining and she went after me in that way. And I didn't take any offense to it. I loved her and she was amazing. And then a year and a half later, it was crazy because she pulled me aside outside. Of, and this is the most iconic hairdresser in the, in the world. And she pulls me aside. She's like, Kelly, can I talk to you? I said, yes. She said, I want to thank you. I said, what are you talking about? She said that day, I was very offended by you talking about the Lord because of the place that I was in my life. But I want you to know that that seed that you planted has grown. And I recently gave my heart to the Lord. And I know now why you're talking about what you're talking about. So it was crazy because what I was thinking is this person's untouchable because of their skill set. But what God was saying is this person is touchable in their heart if you allow me to do the work. 
<laughs> it's amazing how consistent your message is, right? So regardless of what we go through, it's it always comes back to the same place, right? And what I've always, the thing that was really most interesting in our first engagement was, hey, Jerome, what can I pray for you for? And I was like, well, Kelly, how long have you been doing that, right? And so let's talk about that. How did the habit start? And the habit started just like any other habit is for me is my parents, my parents are the greatest, man. I mean, they raised me not with crazy amounts of finances, but they raised me with crazy amounts of love. And my mom was a prayer warrior. Like there is not one thing that I would mention to my mom ever that she wouldn't list out on a prayer list. She would list it out, date it. My dad's the same way to this day. I'll tell him something. He'll list it out. He'll put a date on it. And then he'll call me on it later. He calls me on the surrender thing. He was there. He listed out. He has the exact, I don't even have the date. He has the date. When I started talking about this house that I'm sitting in, that God blessed us with here in Park City, my dad gave me the date when I said it the first time. And he said, and the reason why he does that is not so God will remember your prayer list, right? Not so God will remember all the things that he needs to do, but so you'll remember where the blessing came from, right? And my parents raised me on three major things. Number one, you're awesome. They, my mom would always tell me I'm awesome. No matter what I was, I was awesome. You're awesome. And then she told me I'm beautiful. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't compare yourself to your brothers because my brothers are super high performers. My brother, uh, my oldest brother is a top physician and he's uh, one of the top x-ray radiologists in the country. And then my other brother is one of the top trial lawyers in the country. So I've got, I mean, that, that's a tough thing. I'm the baby in the family, but my mom always said, you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else but you. You're awesome. You're beautiful. Just being you. Just be Kelly. That's it. And then they followed up with, you can do anything. Like you can do anything that you put your mind to, but just because you can do it doesn't make it right. And that's the message that I want to get out to every single person out there is because honestly, like when you hear, you need to grind, you need to grind, you need to do these, you need to do that, you need to be crushing it. Yeah. I mean, literally, and this is not egotistical, Jerome, anything, anything. And I don't care what it is. It could be real estate. It could be construction. It could be cooking. If I put my mind to it, just like anyone out there listening, you could be good at anything you want to do, but it does not make it your purpose. And when you figure out what your purpose is and you stay in that pocket. And I remember asking my daughter, I said, what does daddy do? Because she's, I thought she was going to be like, you're an author, you're a business owner, you're a speaker, you're a trainer, you're all this stuff. And I was like, trying to beat my chest, pump it up. And then you know what she said to me? As seven years old playing Legos, I said, what does daddy do? Because I wanted to hear my ego get stroked. And she took me right down to the ground. And she turned and she just smiled at me. And she said, daddy, you make people happy. And then she went back to playing Legos. And so for me, I know that what my purpose is, is to stay in my lane which my lane is to listen to him and to simply make people happy. And he brings every opportunity and the game really Jerome has slowed down and people are calling. I'm not reaching out. They're calling. And it keeps me in that humble state that honestly, outside of my relationship with him, I could do a lot of stuff, but it ain't going to mean anything. So I just stay in that pocket. And he's done that over this last year. I mean, you know what he told me the other day? I said, God, 
like, cause there was all these things like, what do you need me to focus on? And I asked him, I wrote in my journal, I said, like, what do you need me to focus on God? And it was almost as if he laughed and he said, son, I've told you before, just focus on me, focus on me and I'll take care of everything. And that's where I've been. And right now, what he's told me over and over again, I got so focused on my business for so long. And then God said, I just want you to focus on your family, take care of your family, and I'll bring everything else and I'll prosper everything else. And that's what I've been doing, man. So I can't take any of the credit for it. It's all the people that are around me. I mean, you, like, dude, you give me life. When we talk on the phone, you give me life. And I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate you. So you brought up Maddox and McKenna, right? So you got this crazy podcast. It's long form. I liken it to Joe Rogan with doubt, all of the nonsense. And towards the end of it, you say, I need you to give my kids a piece of advice in a roundabout way. What made you start doing that? And you, the best part is you got to say it by name. <laughs> you got to call their name when you well, give them it, this. It was, it, honestly, it was a selfish thing. I mean, I, you know, the people, the iconic people like yourself, you know, I was, I've just been very fortunate, man. I've been very blessed. I've been very blessed to be around really, really cool people. And it helps me to just be myself. And I wanted my kids to have that. I wanted them to see, like, I don't want my kids to have idols. I don't want my kids to, you know, look at a, a pop star singing and be like, yo, that's it. So what I did was my daughter, she had a favorite pop star. It was one of the kids about kids. So we went to one of the concerts. I saw some people that looked kind of conspicuous. I figured out that, they, I mean, I, I was like, they're either like weird people because I don't have any kids with them or they're the parents of some of these performers. And chances were that they were probably the parents. So I went over and introduced myself. And I said, hey, my name is Kelly and my daughter's a huge fan. I said, you know, I watched the way that you reacted to these kids. What's the deal? And they said, oh, well, Isaiah, who's my daughter's favorite pop star, they're like, Isaiah is my son. And I said, well, can we be friends? And I said, well, I'm going to force you just like I told you. I said, I told him as a dad, I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. Well, he ends up a FaceTime in my daughter and my daughter's favorite pop star FaceTimes my daughter and she flips her lid. Well, then I end up talking to his mom, say, and invite him into the salon. And my wife goes, picks up my daughter one day, which we didn't tell her. And her favorite pop star is in the chair, getting his hair done when she walks in the salon and she flips out. I mean, kids in the neighborhood are running over, getting autographs, doing all these things. His name is Isaiah Morgan. The kid is phenomenal. My, and then afterwards we went to lunch and they had burgers and fries and they hung out and snapped on each other. And Maddox got to meet him and Trent, who is a phenomenal MC. He's corrupt son from the dog pound. And the whole reason why is I never want my kids to chase after things I want them to realize that three principles in life will make you successful. One, be kind. Number two, make friends. Number three, don't have an aversion to working hard. And when you see that these people who happen to have songs or like, I mean, with John Paul, I mean, John Paul sold Patron for $5.4 billion, $1.4 million more, a billion more than George Lucas sold Star Wars. But my daughter, when she saw John Paul, told him, I don't like the smell of this hairspray. Can you change it? Can you imagine what that'll do to a kid at seven, eight years old to be amongst people like that and talk to them like regular people? That's what the world needs more of. We need less idols and more friends. 
<laughs> Epic. So you don't want them to chase things. You want them to make friends. One of the things that you like are watches. Please share the watch story with the listeners. I'll do the I'll do the condensed version because and I've been long winded. I want to tell you I appreciate you. No, no, I, I'm enjoying all the stories. I do a ton of episodes, right? I've probably done 500 podcasts. If I needed a truncated or I didn't think you were bringing value, I could have shifted it. I warned people before we got in, it was going to be long form. Your stories are amazing. Don't cut the story short because it is one of the most amazing stories I've heard, please. Well, I went to Toronto and uh, when we were traveling and as a a young kid, I, I got a chance to be able to go up there and we used to go into the, you know, go shopping. And I like to shop in places that stretched my mind, right? Because there's a story that you don't know about, which I'll tell you quickly is, I went to Caesar's Palace when I moved to Las Vegas the first time. Well, the Mandalay Bay was opening and I needed a suit. I went to the Emporio Armani and I saw these pants that Maxwell had on in Vogue on the cover. And I was like, I want those pants. Well, I didn't know that those pants were more expensive than I could afford. So I go in and I try on the pants and I look at them I'm like, man, I look good. I'm, you know, I turn around, I look good. And then I did the thing that all broke people do which is you do the quick price flip. Like you look at the price tag quick, but you don't want people to see you looking at the price tag. Well, I did in this pair of pants, this was 1999. This pair of pants was $200 in 1999. And my butt was making probably $250 a week. So this was a ton of money. And I left the store real quick. I got on a pay phone at the time because I didn't have a cell phone. Got on a pay phone, called my dad. I said, pop. I got a challenge. He said, what's the challenge? I said, man, I want to buy this pair of pants, but I don't know if I should buy it. It's $200. He said, stop. I said, what, what's up, Pop? He said, so whether or not to buy a $200 pair of pants is your challenge today, son. I said, yes. He said, don't ever call me with those type of challenges ever again. He said, but before we get off, realize that that pair of pants is not an expense. It's an investment. And if you invest in the way that you look, you'll feel like a million bucks. And when you feel like a million bucks, you won't have a problem charging a hundred for a haircut. And then he hung up on me. So we like to look at things that stretched our minds. So we were in Toronto. So I go into a watch store. This guy tells me this whole story about a watch. I look at it and I'm like freaked out on it. I love it. And I, for literally probably a year and a half, two years, I had just thought about this watch. Well, I'm back at the Mandalay Bay and this client walks in. And when he walks in, I notice on his wrist, a Panerai, this watch that I had seen in Toronto that I loved that the guy had told me all the features and benefits of. So I look at the watch and I'm like, wow, that's a Panerai. And the guy goes nuts. And he starts talking all about the Panerai, talking about all the features and benefits. He tells me about the clasp and, uh, you know, it's an Italian military issued watch. And when it came into America and all these things, and I'm thinking, man, I just complimented you. I didn't, I wasn't trying to tell you, you know, have a whole discussion, but the whole haircut, he, all he talks about is watch. Well, I get done with his haircut. He comes back down and I'm with another guest. And if anybody out there knows me, when I'm focused with one person, I'm focused with that person. I ain't trying to talk to nobody else. So he rolls up on me and I'm doing color on somebody else. And he's like, hey, Kelly. And I'm thinking, okay. And he has a briefcase. And inside the briefcase, he opens it up. He's like, hey, you mentioned about my Panerai watch. And I just wanted to bring down all the watches I travel with. And I'm thinking, travel with, man, I have a swatch on at the time. Hey, no, I ain't traveling with no watch except the one on my wrist. But he opens up the briefcase. He's got like five watches in there. And he starts telling me all the ones. He's got a Breitling that he bought from Jerry Seinfeld. He's got all these watches. Then he gets to this one and he says, this is an Ernst Benz. And, you know, he tells me all about his pilot watch. And he tells me, put on this watch. So I'm with the client, but I'm like, okay. So I put on the watch and I'm like, damn, Jerome, this watch felt good. 
You know what I'm saying? Like when you have a friend with a Bentley and you get in the Bentley, your Honda Accord ain't feeling the same anymore. You know what I mean? And so I, I put on the watch and I look at it. He's like, how's it look? I said, it looks amazing. He said, how's it feel? I said, it feels amazing. He said, that watch was $1,800. I was wow. And then he said something to change my life. He said, it's yours. And I looked around. I thought I was getting pumped and I put it on. And I just kept it on. And I looked at it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he just walked out and I ran after him and chased him. And I said, thank you so much. Thank you for the watch. Why did you do that? That's so amazing. He said, you know what? If this is the way that you react to someone giving you a watch, someone should have given you one a long time ago and walked off. And what I realized from that watch was the most important thing that you could ever do is talk about what other people are passionate about. So I have the watch and I'm walking around and now I have the conscious of what other watches, I'm most people watches. I go to New York and I see this person and this guy, he's checking us out at the store and I say, man, that watch is amazing. He's like, I wasn't even aware today. I don't even like it. But I said, it looks good on you and it compliments you. And that watch is amazing. You should wear it all the time. He said, thank you so much. We walk out of the store. My friend goes to look at her shirt and inside the bag is the guy's watch. He had taken it off, put it in the uh, bag. Now I take that watch and I put it on. And so now I have the one to talk about what people are passionate about. And I have the one to always remember to, to compliment people. So now I have two watches and people are all talking about the watches and they're asking me why I have two watches on and I get home and I'm working at the Mandalay Bay and there's this guy that always shows up and he never makes an appointment ever. But it always happens that I have time at that time to take care of him. Well, I wanted to teach him a lesson because I didn't want him to just roll up in the salon. So he comes in and at that time, I was going to tell him, like, I can't take you, but I actually had time and someone had canceled and I was able to take him. So he sits down in the chair. I'm kind of mad a little bit. I'm kind of frustrated. I'm like, I'm teaching him the wrong way to go about things. He didn't make an appointment, all this stuff. That's what I'm thinking about while I'm kind of there, which is absolutely awful. I get done with the haircut and he says, hey man, I was in a business meeting yesterday and someone gave me a gift and it's not really me. I think it's more of your personality I and mean, I'd like to give it to you. Would that be okay? And he said, you know, it's a watch. And I was like, dude, I'm getting punked here. I got two watches on. There's no way. He said, meet my friend tonight at this restaurant and we'll, you know, you know get you your watch. So I tell you, like some people would be like, oh, I ain't got time. But I was like, I'm into watches, so I'm getting my watch, and I'm going to be at the restaurant. So I show up at the restaurant. Guy show, his friend shows up to deliver it. He says, here's the watch from John Mark. He pulls it out, and Jerome, on my life, I thought I was getting pumped. Out of his jacket, he pulls out a Panerai, the first watch that I was in love with. And I put it on my wrist, and what God hit me with right away is it, that watch reminded me why I got in the business. And the reason why I got in the business was to be a service to people. And if I was simply being a service to people, I would never get egotistical about my time. So now I had the one to compliment people, the one to remind me to compliment people, and the one to remind me why I got in business. And that was to be a service to people and not get egotistical about my time. I got three watches on. I go to a show. I tell the watch story. And my boss, someone in the audience asks about the watch story. And my boss looks at me. He's like, man, this is gonna be, we're in here for an hour. And I tell him. Remember to compliment or talk about what people are passionate about, compliment people, want to remind me while I'm in the business. And literally, like someone in the audience, I don't know how this spidey sense happened, but I just see something going and I reach up and I grab. And as I grab, the guy had thrown a watch up and I catch it. And the guy yells out, I just want to be a part of the story. So now I have the one to talk about the people are passionate about, the one to uh, remind me to compliment people, the one to remind me while I'm in the business, and the fourth watch was to remember to tell the story because you never know how many people will be blessed by telling the story.
So now I have four watches. I go to Canada. I'm sitting down with this, you know, this class and we talk about all the things that these people can do to be able to be successful. Right. And we get done. And the guy asked me about the watches. I said, I'll tell you later and you know, whatever. And then I end up telling him, you know, one to talk about people passionate about the one to compliment people, the one to remind me while I'm in the business and the one to remember to tell the story. Well, we get done with the class. And as we go around and he's sitting, like if we're in a semicircle, he's sitting about right here. And he says, you guys made the biggest impact on me in my life because every other person that ever comes to educate always tries to shove product down my throat. And he said, you guys haven't talked about product one time. You've just talked about your successes, how we could be successful and how to be able to encourage our life. And when he got done with that comment, he took his watch off and handed it to me. So I had the one to talk about people are passionate about, the one to uh, remember to compliment people, the one to remind me why I'm in the business, the one to remind me to tell the story. And the fifth and final watch was to remind me that the most important thing in your life that you'll ever sell is yourself. And until you've sold that, nothing else will be sold. Yikes. Don't you ever cut that story short. Well, I appreciate, I mean, because I feel like I want you to know that I just appreciate you being able to give a platform to share the story. Don't you ever cut that story short. That's better than any of the other times that I've heard it. That is amazing. I can't wait to snip that one out and share it with the masses via social. So as we start to wind this one up, man, you've got this concept about staying out the middle. And it's something to do with you and Will and riding bikes. And are you willing to leave this one last story with the listeners? Absolutely, man. I mean, Will and I, best friend in the world, Will Simmons. I absolutely love him. He's going to be on the show coming soon and you'll get to hear him. The guy is phenomenal. But at nine years old, we met, we were just doing nine-year-old things, riding bikes, playing with G.I. Joe, which he had all the name brand G.I. Joe's. I had the off-brand ones. And I always give him a hard time for that because I say he was rich because he had the name brand G.I. Joe's, Transformers. I had like the Zybots. But we used to do nine-year-old stuff. But when we were nine-year-olds, we were like, man, when we become millionaires, when we get money, we're going to do this. When we do it. It's crazy because, you know, a couple months ago, and I think I told you about it, he came up and I cut his hair and I got to cut his hair. And then we went and rode bikes and it was a Thursday. It was in the middle of the day. And when we got to our destination, which was at the beach and we sat down, I said, well, do you realize that when we dreamed about all the things that we would do when we got money or we got this place, we talked about all these things, but you know what we're doing today when we have, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm crazy wealthy, anything like that, but I'm very blessed. But because we're in a situation financially where on a Thursday, you and I can just hang out, and do nothing and ride bikes. We're at a point in our life where we could do that. And when we could do pretty much whatever kind of we wanted, you know, the thing that we're doing is the thing that we're doing as kids. We're riding bikes. We're talking. We're snapping on each other. We're doing jokes. And what I realized at that time is, you know, when I'm saying the bottom, you guys realize that like when you start off, you know, you're building your foundation, all those things. When you're doing that, you're thinking, oh man, I need to strive. I need to do all these things. And then you get in the middle and the middle is the place where you're trying to get the fancy cars and the fancy watches and the houses and trying to show out for people, like get things for people that don't even really matter in your life, trying to impress people who don't even really matter. And then once you break through that kind of glass ceiling, it's not really there that we just think is there. And then you start floating in these orbits. What you realize is the people that are financially free, you feel, realize the people that are, you know, 
are successful, whether it be with their family or financially or whatever it is, those people are doing really, really simple things. They're spending time with people. They're making friends. They're not looking at the next sale. They're looking not at the transaction, but they're looking at the relationship. And so what God was telling me that day is just honestly, Kel, stay out of the middle, stay out of the striving, stay out of the grinding, stay out of the accomplishment and step in to the acceptance. And when you accept, and when we, Jerome, and you already have, when we accept how great we are, how great we're made, how perfect we're made, when we accept that, then all of the things that we thought we needed to accomplish will come to us and we won't have to go after them anymore. And it sums up in a statement that my mom, like I paraphrase my mom, but I'm perfectly wonderfully made. If you're listening to me right now and I'll just repeat this, I'm perfectly wonderfully made in the image of God. Anything contrary to that is a lie. And from this day forward, I will only accept truth. And Jerome, if we can get out of accomplishment and get into acceptance, the game will slow down and everything will come to us. So I've been struggling with this right here. I think of the spider and how they weave the web and a spider that weaves a web in a tree or something versus one that weaves their web right in front of a light. I think the likelihood of success for the one by the light goes up for having dinner caught than the one in the tree. And so when we talk about acceptance and we talk about attraction and we talk about all of these other things associated with being and magnetism and so on, where is our responsibility in setting the stage or putting us in the right space? Well, I think it's a great question. I think one of the biggest things is to, number one, accept that you have an absolute 100% unique purpose, right? And realize that I don't believe in the law of attraction. I don't. The law of attraction, the root word of that is action. (laughs) You know, as a person, you have to be willing to get up at five o'clock when everyone else is getting up at seven. But when you do that and you understand what your purpose is, and then you work not hard, like crazy, but you work really hard at the thing that you're purposed to do. It's crazy what happens. It's nuts. I mean, it's for me, I don't want you to think that it's a woo-woo, like, you know, just sit back and everything will be fine. No. When you zero in, like literally, like everybody has some great gifts. You have gifts. And they're just things that are given to you. And when you're grateful about them, then they tend to multiply. I'm grateful for the thing that I could see what other people are great at, and then I allow them to do it. But it's something that I work at. And when we have that, like, again, like one of my buddies, Greg Reed, you know, he said it over and over again. He said, attraction, you know what I mean? Like attraction, root word, action. But I think sometimes... We think that motion is action. So we just, we're grinding. We're doing all these things. I'm hustling. I'm a hustler. I'm blah, 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 blah. Well, action is going towards a desired result. But when we allow our desire to be in line with our purpose, and our purpose is nothing more than our gifts, that we go give away to everybody. And Jerome, you're sitting in your purpose. Like you're the best example of this, man. You're giving away every day on LinkedIn. If you're watching you on LinkedIn, I'm constantly getting contributed to, constantly over and over again, getting amazing things. 
and you're giving away your gifts. And guess what happens? Magic all around. So if we can take, and uh, I think one of the big things is if we can take and we can accept the past, yeah, we can accept the past and say like the past is, it's a spent check and we understand, it, we respect it. So I'd say respect the past. We accept the future. Like every desire that you have is going to happen. Every one of them. That's according to your purpose. Every one of them. And we can accept that. Then I can sit present and not worry about, oh my gosh, is this going to happen? Oh my gosh, this happened. Now I could just be right here. You know, I grew up like this. Okay, cool. What can I do about it? Nothing. I already know it's a spent check, the future. Then I could stay present where I'm at. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Kelly, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, sharing your pearls of wisdom with the listeners. I got a tremendous amount out of it. So even if nobody else listens to this podcast, you made a life transformation for me, my brother. Thank you so much. To the listeners, <laughs> your dreams should be real. And if you don't believe that after listening to this, <laughs> I don't know when you ever will. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>